0: Welcome to the Seller Roundtable E-Commerce Coaching and
1: Business Strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, everyone. What's up? This is Amy Wees. Andy is out today, but we're still going to have an amazing episode. And let's see, what's the episode number? Episode number 126 of the Amazon FBA Seller Roundtable. And today I have the amazing... Just This woman is amazing. She's amazing. She's a legend. When I first met her, me and my assistant ended up sitting on our chairs and it was like fireside chats with Marsha and we were just listening to everything that she had to say because she has such an amazing story. So I'm so excited for Marsha to share her story with you today let it inspire you, let it overcome your, help you overcome your barriers, um, because if one thing that Marsha does not do, she doesn't quit. So, <laughs> so <Maybe Marcia>. sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not time yet. <laughs> uh, Marsha, welcome to the Seller Roundtable. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much, Amy. It's so good to be here
0: with you and your audience and, and Like you said, it's been quite a ride. And I guess I'm old enough to have experienced the highs and the lows and survived them both.
1: Yes, definitely. So speaking of being old enough to survive the highs and the lows (laughs) on this show, we always ask you to tell us a little bit about your background. (laughs) And I know with you, it could be the entire show because you have such an amazing story. But tell us a little bit about your journey to (laughs) e-commerce and your background, as much or as little as you want to tell us. And while you're doing that, I'm going to mute and share it around to the live channels. Alrighty. Well,
0: my journey started about 40 years ago. Uh, I had uh, two children and my daughter liked to play with creative art activities and so One of the things that she liked to play with was chalk, but the chalk at the time was that skinny blackboard stuff like the size of your little finger that came from China. It was dusty, dirty, broke, full of lead. It stained. It was a rotten mess. So in 1978, I decided there ought to be a better way to make chalk. And this was before computer so i went to this place called the library and started researching how to make chalk i spent the summer experimenting and i came up with this never has yet been duplicated fabulous formula it is hard dustless clean chalk you can wipe it up and down your clothes and it doesn't come off and yet it washes off with rain or water so without knowing anything about retail wholesale I decided I was going to start selling sidewalk chalk. Well, it actually happened in kind of a bizarre way, and I won't take all of our time today, but we did end up selling chalk to craft fairs around Colorado. And it wasn't long before stores started calling me wanting to know how to buy our product. That led me to a trip to the Denver Merchandise Mart where I found a wonderful lady who's now passed away, and she taught me all about wholesale and case packs and you and all of it so we started selling to a lot of gifts and toy stores in the Rocky Mountains and then my son who was three challenged me and said mom Walmart says they only buy American products you should sell them our chalk now, at that time, Walmart had 66 stores. That's how long ago this was. And I brought these props to show your audience because I want people to understand. I was just a mom in Niwot, Colorado with two kids. I didn't have any sophisticated product background, which you're about to see. But I had a fabulous product. This is the product that Walmart bought when, let's see, 40 years ago. And it was as primitive as can be. These chalks were squirted out of pastry tubes. They looked like colored dog turds. But we got our shot to put this and another skew. We had a, a box that held six sticks into nine of their stores for a test market with a guaranteed buyback that whatever didn't sell in 30 days, we had to buy back. So it was a gross of each product into nine stores. Well, I'd never sold that much product to one store, and I was afraid of the buyback. So I hatched this idea that I would call each of those nine store managers. I would ask them if they would host a sidewalk chalk contest in their parking lot. Now, back then, there weren't very many Walmarts, only 66 stores in the whole chain Their stores weren't big and busy, so they were thrilled to have something happening in their parking lot. I then went to these little towns in Colorado. I talked to the newspaper. They all agreed to come cover the story. Walmart agreed to give a first, second, and third prize to every kid that entered. And then I found some famous person like the school superintendent or the librarian or somebody to come judge the contest. Well, these contests became crazy fun. And back then the newspapers really only ran ran color on the front and back of their newspaper. The inside was all black and white. So our story with the pictures of these kids on their their art made the front cover of every one of these newspapers because it was in full color. So, That was very successful when those 30 days were, well, the fourth day, after the fourth contest, I got a call from my Walmart buyer and he said, we have a problem. And I said, what's that? And he said, we are out of inventory in these stores. And I said, where do we need product and when? During that 30 days, we restocked those nine stores nine times, which was amazing for us. So after the 30 days were up, I called... Uh, my buyer, Steve, and I said, this was fabulous. Can we get a few more stores? And he said, Marsha, I think you better come down to Bentonville and see me. And so I made my first trip to Bentonville, Arkansas, and it was nothing fancy, let me tell you. And he met with me and he had a uh, sprocket, the whole sprockets, a green and white spreadsheet on his desk. And he was looking through it and he said, I don't understand this. You are the top-selling item in the toy department and your packaging and presentation suck. And I said, "Well, what do you think we should do?" So we went out to their planogram room and he showed me blister card packaging. And so I said, "Great, we will convert to blister packaging." So, based on that, I invested in a six-station automatic blister machine and then we shipped this product into 14 of these stores we did 14 chalk contests 14 rinse and repeat again massively successful but this is a flat oh, you store.
1: created at this time so what what about, about what year was this this was 1979 or 1980 1979 or 1980 And you actually did you do this packaging yourself you said you invested in a blister packaging machine machine to put
0: the blister on the card. Uh, I had an artist in Boulder Colorado this was my daughter over here's my daughter Suzanne my son Ross, they were on our packaging and it was just it was a still it was pretty primitive, but it was way better than this. So we did the 14 stores with this and I did a flat blister because right at this time we were the first company to invent molded shaped chalk. No one had ever made that before. And I had come out with circus and dinosaur and some zoo characters and I didn't know what would sell best. So we was just mix them up in here and my buyer was tracking on his end, what was selling best. So after the 14 store, test that month he said okay come back down we need to talk again so we went from this is so fun we went from this to this to this molded sticks with our name on it it says our kids sidewalk chalk on each piece they were in their own blisters so they didn't slide around and then they gave us chain wide they gave us all 66 stores that led to, uh, and each time we would get this media coverage on these newspapers. So,
1: Marcia, can I ask you, yes. in, I mean, just because I'm fascinated with the product development and packaging, as you know, like I teach every step in the process mm-hmm. and I just think it's so fascinating because nowadays we can easily get someone else to make that packaging. And it's so <laughs> easy nowadays that we don't necessarily know what goes into it. Right, like what, how a package is made. So you went from kind of like in the beginning when you had what you call the the colored dog turds, right? (laughs) Um, Were you just like using the material and like laying it out on a, a paper or something? Like what was production like for that? And then when you molded it, did you guys create the molds yourself and pour that material into the molds? Yes, we
0: did. I actually found a candy company in Oklahoma that I don't know if they're still in business that made chocolate candy molds. Like if you wanted to make uh, chocolates for a, a wedding party or. And so I called that company and asked them if they would make molds for me and their molds. As I remember, our first molds held like 20 pieces of chalk and you would pour the slurry in and then you would scrape them off and let them dry. Oh, this was so primitive, Amy. But we were making a lot of chalk by then. So then those molds were not strong enough or big enough. And the big turning event happened. I would send all of this media My newspaper articles and magazines, we were in Fortune Magazine and Entrepreneur and ABC, NBC and CBS, Denver, our local stations covered our little story. Then I got a call from the executive producer of ABC World News Tonight with Peter Jennings and he wanted to come cover our story. That's when everything blew up. And um, they did come, we made the whole day. And I asked her, I said, nobody like Peter Jennings has ever come to Niwot, Colorado. Would he come to my children's elementary school and give a little talk about his work at ABC News? And she said he would. So I hired the, I asked the art department to come do a whole mural about (laughs) ABC News and Peter Jennings where they parked the school buses So they moved all the school buses all these high school art students came and did this beautiful mural and i made a abc logo cookie cutter out of copper because it was soft and malleable and i could make a a cookie cutter and i made 700 cookies to give away to everybody at the high school and the elementary school so we i killed myself to make this day about peter jennings then when they did our story he was already in love with our little kids and the fun so we had when the story actually aired we had two minutes and 20 seconds on world news tonight which used to be a 30 minute show with commercials out 20 minutes of news time so we were a 10th of their show and no one i you know this is back so long ago i didn't no one once it aired if you didn't see it you missed it but I happened to hear Barry Serafin saying, coming up next, a couple of kids chalking up their future in Colorado. So I ran into the house and put a VHS tape in my, so I do have a copy of this segment. And then the next morning I went into my office and I was so depressed because my parents didn't see it. My sister didn't see it. People I wanted to know that we were doing something all missed it. But I got a call from a man, a man And I recognized his name. And when I picked up the phone and said, good morning, how can I help you? Can I say a bad word on your show?
1: Absolutely.
0: His (laughs) words to me exactly were, why the fuck is Walmart getting all this publicity? And I said, sir, they're buying our product in all their stores and I can't get your buyers to return my call. He was the head of Kmart, who had 4,200 stores. So he then asked us over the phone to drop ship two cases, 48 pieces each, to each of his 4,200 stores. We were not a vendor of record. We had to hand type 4,200 invoices. There were no computers yet. It was total brain damage. And he said, can you do it in five weeks, Missy? And I said, yes, sir, we can. I had no clue when I hung up the phone how we were going to, but we did. I'm sure we lost money on the order because we hired every temp we could get to help us make all this And I'm
1: sure as well that you, that was the importance though. That was an investment, Yes. Because at that time, you know, and I've heard you tell this story before, um, which, you know, that was that was for me. So now everybody else gets to hear it. But, you know, you the way you said it was uh, at that time, um, Walmart was tiny, had a, just like 40 some stores or 60 stores, 66, 66 mm-hmm. stores. And you said Walmart was a pimple on Kmart's butt, which is not the situation anymore, because, mm-hmm. you know, now Kmart is is. so So much much. is gone gone, right Mm -hmm. but uh but yeah so you know and i think the other interesting thing so you show the importance of believing you can, even when you don't know how, like boldly walking through any door that is open for you. That was scary, Amy. We could have
0: totally imploded, but we were, I was young and I was, I would work around, I would work 70, 80 hours, sleep for two and go again. I was not gonna fail because I had my own money invested in this. I had my own, my pride. This was like my third child, this little company. Well, then after Walmart happened and we shipped it successfully, Then we got uh, Target Nationwide and we got Toys R Us Nationwide. And then, this is the last show and tell.
1: You said, you meant after Kmart, after after Kmart, Kmart. Kmart. Um, and then you got in Target and Toys R Us Nationwide. So by that time, you went from doing a few, like, you went from doing these major invoices for all these stores, yeah. everything, and overnight you scaled. So, that one decision, like I just wanted to spend a moment on this because this one decision where you took a chance and made it happen, you, like you said, you lost money on that deal. You could have said no, but that one decision catapulted you yes. through major retail and turned you into just an incredible brand. company and brand. And you know, and that's what led to what you're holding up now, which is this incredible
0: three million McDonald's three packs. Now, this one did just about kill us because that's a lot of chalk. If anybody can imagine one million of something, this was overwhelming. And then this led to we did six other national food kids meals. So one thing led to another. At this point, we had two production facilities in the US going around the clock. And and this all happened over about a 12 month period. It didn't happen completely overnight. Um, But we didn't have to test with Target and Toys R Us. They already had seen our product at Kmart. Um, Then we ended up up opening three factories in Asia, uh, which I was one of the first Western women to go open a plant in China. And that was quite an experience back then. Um, and now that I have Staywell Copper, I'm absolutely honored and thrilled to say we are completely made in the USA. And uh, that was what got us into Walmart. 40 years ago was made in the USA product. And here we are now back made in the USA. So in many ways, Amy, it's gone full circle, but as naive as I was back then, that's how naive I have been. I'm learning e-commerce. It's been a very hard journey for this old dinosaur to learn e-commerce.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I'm not a Twitter. It, well, and I wouldn't say that, it's any less difficult for anyone getting into e-commerce because the competition is fierce. People don't play by any rules, right? And so I would love to ask you a question. You said we didn't have to test. You know, I know so many of our e-commerce folks can learn from your experience in retail and we all wanna know, you know, uh, and you have years of experience in retail. So you said, I didn't have to test in Target or Toys R Us, because they had already seen our products, they had seen that. What does that mean to test? So, you said at first you shipped like a case of each one to Kmart. Um, what does it mean when you have to test in retail? And can we still expect that? Probably. And what that means is they're gonna put you in a smaller
0: number of select stores. They're gonna monitor the velocity of your sales. And if you sell to their standards, and to the buyer's standards, then they will give you chain-wide distribution. They don't still give that out without knowing that your product is going to sell. And it is, I still call it a test. And and it's usually 30 to 45 days, it may be 60 days, and then they'll check your sales and see how you've done um, to move forward. We are just now finishing retail packaging to go into brick and mortar retail here in the States. And again, I want to do testing because I want to make sure that our product will sell before we ship chain wide, because most of these big accounts now will make you guarantee a buyback if your product doesn't sell. And I do not want to get involved in buybacks. So hopefully they will give, hopefully now I want to test. I want to know that it will sell before we ship chain wide.
1: Yes, that makes sense. So you're making sure that you're testing before. um, And I think that's what most people can expect. They get overwhelmed thinking about retail because on Amazon, you do get to test. You do get to launch your product and kind of test and see how things go, right? Um, But uh, in retail, you also test. You test in smaller amounts of stores before you're going nationwide. But the other thing is when you finally do go nationwide, Amazon is one store. (laughs) You know, and Walmart, as you mentioned, you know, how many stores they have now, I forgot how many, like 8,100 stores or something. CVS has uh, 9,400 stores, I think. Um, So, and now even the top 50 retailers also have e-commerce platforms. And the two are not the same. The brick and mortar is not connected to the e-commerce side. So, you know, we all have so much to learn, whether we're in e-commerce and figuring it out, or we are trying to expand into brick and mortar channels. Um, there's there's so much to learn and, and we can learn from each other. So, so I know you're, you're let's go take you from, you sold your company, right? You yeah. sold your, your chalk company. And what year was that, that you sold it in? That
0: was February 9th, 1990. <laughs>
1: you know
0: know, the days your children were born I'll never forget that day either February 9th 1990 my life changed forever Uh, I had first been made an offer to buy my company from the Uh, Etch-a-Sketch Company, Ohio Art, and I had gone through nine months of due diligence with them and we did not come to a deal. But I'm very, very proud to say we ended up best friends. And usually when you've invested that much time and money putting a deal together and they fall apart, usually people don't like each other. But the chairman and I have become best friends. His sister is my best friend. We talk every day on the phone. She's a dear, dear lady. I love all of his family. They become like my, they are my family. I go, you know. Is
1: the company still in business today? Are you still still selling?
0: But they sold about four years ago to a Canadian company. So the original people I dealt with are no longer there. But Mm -hmm. Etch-a-Sketch, it's a classic toy brand as well. But uh, I, so I was pretty depressed when that sale fell apart because I was in over my head with uh, mm-hmm. Cash flow. We were shipping so much product, and all these national retailers, when I always used to call it 2% net never, they would pay like in 90 days or 120 days, but they were ordering product every 30 days, because our product was consumable. So it was a cash flow nightmare. So I needed to sell the company, we were growing so fast, I knew I was going to bankrupt it if I didn't sell it. Mm. And we were in every we were in mass specialty education, gift, toy, fast food we really had a complete grid of U.S. retail and so when that deal fell apart coincidentally I got a call about three weeks later from my Dallas rep Gary McCoy and Gary used to always call and say hey sunshine how you doing today and I said I'm great Gary what's up and he goes have you ever thought about selling your company And I said, well, why would you ask? He didn't know I'd been through nine months of this because you never let your salespeople know when you're really up against the wall. And he said, there's a company that's very interested in your distribution. They didn't care at all about my product, but they wanted my distribution because we were vendors of record at all these major. Oh,
1: then they had the spot on the shelf and that was valuable.
0: Very valuable. And it still is today. And so, um, he said, I want you to call. I said, Gary, stop. If they're interested, you have them call me. I don't have time to chase a rainbow. And so 45 minutes later, Amy, I got a phone call from the chairman of the world's largest toy company. Now I'm just a little farm kid from Southeast Iowa. This is big stuff to me. So, uh, he started telling me about their company. They had a product that had done really well in Japan. They didn't have any U.S. distribution and they wanted to buy my company and put this product into my distribution. That product was a little product called Power Rangers. Mm. And that's what happened. I had the company sold within three three to four weeks. I got everything I wanted because he wanted that distribution and we, we put a six person launch team together and took that to a billion dollars in 14 months. In 1990, a $1 billion dollars was a lot of Power Rangers. It had never been done in the toy industry before. It took Barbie 30 years to hit a billion dollars mm-hmm. in one year. So it was a big, big deal.
1: Your but company and your distribution and what you built out of nothing, out of your kitchen, basically. Out of a- our dog turds. <laughs> catapulted mm-hmm. another company. I mean, we think about even what the Power Rangers brand is today. You were a part, you were a pioneer to start that. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, you know, back when you started, uh, when you moved your factories to China back then, there was nothing in China. It took companies like yours to go to China and build them out. It's like what Mexico and some of the other countries that we're trying to source from now, it's what they need. They need companies to come in and grow with these manufacturers. And you did that as a woman in a country where at that time, China's gotten a little bit better, but I have a China trip. I go to China often and I see the still to this day. It
0: was so primitive back then. It, It was truly one of my factories was in Guangzhou my first was in Shenzhen then Guangzhou and my last was in Shaman and when I stayed in my Guangzhou hotel I never let my bare feet touch the floor I always had slippers on it was so the showers had mold they weren't even what we would call a shower it was horribly pitiful but it got what I needed done and uh, we have come a long way and as I say, I am very, very honored and thrilled to be part of the USA manufacturing uh, community. Yes, I
1: agree. I'm, I feel to say I have one product made in the US and I'm very proud of that. And um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have conquered that because it's not easy. It really isn't easy to get a, a product made in the USA. So, all right, so we went from you starting this company out of nothing with your kids, getting people involved, saying yes to open doors, even when you didn't know how you were gonna do things. And you ran into a cash flow problem, which is so many people in e-commerce, we have the same problem. Everybody who has inventory has this problem, right? And you get to the point where you're too big or you're too small to grow as big as you need to grow. And so you got in a position where you needed to sell. And back then selling a business, was not the same as selling a business today. So you went through that whole thing. And, you know, it's 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 a whole different ballgame. So
0: I have to tell you my wonderful sales story at Ohio Art. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com.